Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Love Talk Radio. People, what's going on? Psychic Heads of the Binga, live and direct from the west side of the United States of America, coming from the northern hemisphere of the globe and coming from the third planet in the solar system. It all seemed to flow together as it was coming out of my mind. People, what's going on? I hope you guys are doing well. Coming to our fifth season, second show, the Symposium, the Good Stuff Society today. How are you guys doing out there? 646-595-2892. If you want to creep with us, you can come into the chat room. You know, I always blind the contacts, so this, people, this way people can't see each other because that's how arguments usually start. Got a good turnout, good feedback from my last show. Got a couple of guests lined up. Thank you for your patience. We're going to return next week with the fifth season of Word on the Street. That's and how that work is. Usually I talk to someone like yourself who's doing something in the community, doing something in business, doing something in entertainment, doing something in society that people need to know about. And we usually go on for about a good 45, 60 minutes. You can go back into the archives, prior seasons, Omicongo de Benga, Ben, Benji, Bendrix Ochiang. That guy is one of my top shows. A few people, oh, my God. And, you know, we can't miss, we can't forget about Isosa out there on the East Coast, what is going on, my Niger sister. Yo, there used to be a whole, like, a, a whole lot of Nigerians going back and forth in the finals of the Stanley Cup because we have, uh, what's that, Jerome uh, Ginla, who is half Nigerian. And then we have the other brother whose name is Adiyaka, a, something like that, from Chicago Blackhawks is half Nigerian. I think the backup goaltender, I don't know if he's Niger brother, but I know he's black folk. But I'm seeing, you know, we're going to put together this website that has um, – that just profiles a lot of our people from the continent in these sports. Because I think particularly people will be really surprised. I'm sure that maybe even the Nigers themselves with how many Nigerians are in a lot of professional sports. They're not just in acting in terms, you know, in terms of uh, Haas, Hakeem, Kalai. Uh, let's see, who else we got in there? Oh, Lord, how long is that list? I've been going for a couple of days. We're already talking about Hakeem, we're already talking about Sosa, talking about Renee. 
Oh, God, Roz. We got too many people. And then you have David, who did Planet of the Apes. I'm doing, like, first-name basis. Like, I know some of these people, right? Actually, I do know some of these people. But anyway, let's get on with the groove here, people. How you doing out there? Everything going well? Thanks for tuning in. Let's get straight to it. The biggest thing on the air right now, on the scene right now, the tragic plane crash up in San Francisco. We have to give condolences to the two people that that died in the crash. And there's actually a story about a, a stewardess, I forget her name, who was a hero during this whole thing. But let's give a shout-out. Let's give some words here from one of the new cast, newscaster. And let's see what they have to say in reference to the uh, Asiana 777 crash. Let's go to our Diana Magnet. She's in Seoul. Diana, anything new from the government officials there? Hi, John. Well, we know that um, the, the plane originated in Shanghai, which is why you had so many Chinese nationals on board. There were actually 141 Chinese nationals on board this plane. As you say, we've heard um, from a, a, an official from the Ministry of Transport, Infrastructure um, and Land that those uh, two fatalities did hold Chinese passports. Uh, the other nationalities on board, 77 South Korean, um, 61 U.S. citizens and one uh, Japanese. Um, there are also, there has been a flight already taken off from Seoul's Incheon Airport, a, a chartered ASEANA flight um, with a, a team of investigators, four investigators for the air safety board here, um, ASEANA officials also, and there's another one scheduled this afternoon that is going to be flying family members uh, and more officials over uh, to San Francisco. So uh, one flight already taken off. Uh, and, and one on its way. We're also hearing a little bit more from Adriana about the pilot. Um, there were four pilots apparently on board that plane and they, they obviously operate in shifts for what is a 10-hour flight from Seoul uh, to San Francisco. And the man who was uh, piloting the plane at the time, a man called Lee Jong-min, according to Adriana Airlines, and they say that he's one of their veteran pilots, um, been flying for the uh, aircraft carrier since 1996. Um, a little bit of information also on Asiana. As you say, it's the second of uh, Korea's two major airlines. Um, it's had some incidents in the past. In 2011, there was one a crash involving a cargo plane with two fatalities. And back in um, 1993, a, a very big crash where 66 people were killed. But as we've been hearing from Richard Quest in our reporting all the way through uh, the, 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 the day's events, um, it doesn't necessarily have a, a, a worse safety record than other airlines. It's difficult, really, how to judge it on that front. It is known uh, for its customer service here in this country, John. And, Diana, the time difference was part of the issue here. Uh, how quickly did the company, Asiana, uh, reach out not only to make any public comment, but also uh, to reach out to the families, the worried families of the passengers? They established a hotline um, pretty early on. So, you know, the crash happened between 3 and 4 uh, Seoul time, um, and by about 7, 8 a.m., they had that hotline up and running, and obviously many uh, worried families, they, family members, they said, calling in. Um, it took them some time to issue a, a, a press release in English, but they do have a sort of working room for journalists up and running now, and they are feeding us uh, bits of information as and when they themselves learn more um, about the, the, the specifics of the crash, John. It's just, it's just, you know, it just goes without saying how tragic the whole situation is with the crash, two people dead. Um, one of the sad things that actually may have, that, that's coming out from the crash site is that one of the victims actually may not have been killed in the crash. She may have been killed by one of the rescue vehicles running her over. 
And right now, they're scheduling an autopsy on the young lady. I believe she's uh, is actually she, uh, the two victims who, had, who were killed in the crash were uh, both 16 uh, young ladies. Uh, but again, they're trying to determine the injuries, whether it came from the plane crash itself or when she was um, laying on the ground by the left wing, she was, you know, she may have inadvertently been run over by one of the rescue vehicles, and that would just be heartbreaking. I mean, man. But again. They found her about 30 feet from the airplane fuselage, and you know, I'll give you, I don't know what's on top of on top of that, but uh, I'll give you a little quote here from uh, USA Today that talks about it. It says, uh, uh, "Let's see here." He says he arrived about 45 minutes after the crash and was pointed to the locations of the two deceased by fire officials. They're talking about the senior uh, San Francisco Fire Department officials who were on the scene. Um, in reference to uh, this crash we're talking about. He said while one was found next to the plane, he said the other body was found nearer to the point of first impact where the plane struck the seawall before the runway threshold to the plane's tail and landing girl separated from the rest of the fuselage. So the two girls who died were identified, uh, and so they were both uh, young, uh, Chinese nationals. So it's just tragic as it stands. It says here also that... Um, uh, let's see here. He says the first responders, including his deputies, trained extensively for plane crashes. But the scene that firefighters encountered on runway 28 left, once runway 28 left, would have been difficult to comprehend. 307 aboard the jetliner, with about 180 of them injured. So it was described as being chaotic. And all we can say is, you know, let's just, you know, send all our goodwill and our good vibes to the survivors, and let's just send all our goodwill of support to the victims' family. And let's just hope a thorough investigation. And you don't want no one to die. It was just be it'll be so tragic if it's determined that she was the young lady was killed by you know the rescue truck itself. So let's give a a little moment of silence here for the victims. All right, and let's just hope this. Um, it's very tragic. I know a video got posted online later on, uh, earlier on this afternoon. They showed the plane coming down. They think it may have stalled. Uh, some uh, navigational equipment on the ground was out, but the video shows the plane came at a high angle, nose up. And I'll just leave it at that. If you want to see it, you can go look on YouTube and things like that. I refuse to play it here because I just don't, get, don't think it's totally necessary. Let's go on to more domestic news here in the United States. There was a filibuster some time ago, and I always wanted to touch on this because I never really get a chance to get into the political... Uh, comments like I would want, but I'd be regressed if I didn't mention this from the crash before we moved on. And there was a gentleman by the name of Eugene Anthony Ra. He's a hip-hop concert producer, naturalized U.S. citizen, and he took a picture on his iPhone of minutes after he was being evacuated from the crash. And the one thing that stood out about this is that he wanted to give love to a stewardess. I'm going to read a little quote here from him. He goes, um... He goes, after the plane crash landed, he said, the captain went on the loudspeaker and told everyone to get off the plane. The crew immediately went to work, opening emergency exits, deploying the inflatable slides, and guiding passengers. By then, most people could smell smoke and get off quickly. Um, again, this is coming from the Wall Street Journal. The previous uh, quote came from USA Today. So we continue here. This quote, again, coming from the Wall Street Journal blog. Um, by then, most people could smell smoke and got off quickly, except for those who were injured, said Mr. Ra, who splits his time between Seoul and Las Vegas, Nevada. One tiny woman who he said is a flight attendant, Jion Kim, that's J-I-Y-E-O-N Kim, stood out to him because she was helping the injured, quote, carrying people piggyback, end quote, who couldn't walk. 
Tears are streaming down her face, he said, as she helped clear the plane only minutes before flames engulfed the passenger cabin. He copied her name off her uniform name tag, he said, because she was a hero. Uh, there's a photo online. You can go to uh, blogs.wsj.com and put in the search for, uh, look for the story behind the San Francisco crash survivors photo, and you'll see a picture of her. Again, we have to give a little love. We have to give a lot of love to our stewardesses and airline crew because I think so so often they're mul- they're much maligned, but I don't think people understand that they really, you know, will put their lives on the line to take care of their passengers. So I just want to give a quick shout out to uh, the uh, young lady again. That is Jeon Kim, the stewardess who is literally carrying people out on her back. So continuing on with some more news here. There was a filibuster some time ago. I'm sure you guys heard about it, in reference to an abortion bill that was passed um, in Texas some time ago. And it was really interesting. It was led by uh, State Senator Wendy Davis. And she was leaving. She was leaving. She uh, conducted a filibuster um, to um, uh, bring down that abortion bill, which I think had to do with. Um, I'm not sure the exact specifics. So I won't speak on it. But uh, Governor Perry uh, t- took uh, her filibuster very personal. And well, let's let, let, let's let you hear what Miss Wendy Davis has to say for herself. She was interviewed on this week. Uh, she was a Sunday spotlight. Sunday Spotlight, Wendy Davis, the single mom state senator from Texas, rocketed into America's conversation this week when her 11-hour filibuster blocked legislation to restrict abortions in Texas. ABC's Jeff Zeleny spoke with her in Fort Worth at the dinner theater where she once waited tables. A week ago, no one knew State Senator Wendy Davis outside of Fort Worth. Now you've become a national and international man. Members, I'm rising on the floor today to humbly give voice. I never could have predicted the enthusiasm, the energy, the courage of people in Texas who showed up at the Capitol. Why did he decide to wear your uh, running shoes? Let's take a look at those. They've kind of been rocketing around the the internet. They've uh, gained a fame all their own. At the last minute I was running out of my apartment, I thought maybe I might need something with a little more support. So I grabbed these on the way out the door. These are actually my running shoes. Women need timely access. As the filibuster was going on, you were receiving a lot of support from places and people far away from Texas, uh, you know, from uh, movie stars, from the president. I was completely blown away. I truly think the most profound thing that I received were the, the tweet messages that were coming from everyday Texans and women across the country. The front page of the Fort Worth Star-Telegram is featuring the back and forth with uh, Governor Perry and you. He has made this very personal against you. She's the daughter of a single woman. She was a teenage mother herself. It's just unfortunate that she hasn't learned from her own insanity. Is that offensive? You know, what's offensive to me is that he's made this very personal to Texans overall. He's awfully fond of, of talking the talk of small government. But this is big government intrusion, and it's very unfortunate and sad that people's personal health and safety are at risk for his political purposes. Do you believe that SB5 will become law? I just refuse to say I believe it will happen. I'm an eternal optimist. I believe in people. I believe in the power of democracy, and I'm going to fight with every fiber I have to keep it from passing. 
Will you have to filibuster again? I don't know that we'll have that opportunity again, but I can tell you this. We are up for the fight. You're going to put these shoes on again, or? If I have to, I will, most certainly. And it is going to be a big fight. Special session in the Texas legislature begins again tomorrow. Let me bring this to Peggy. You know, an SB5, pretty far-reaching bill, would ban all abortions in the state of Texas after 20 weeks, closing yeah. most of the abortion clinics in the state of Texas, and probably going to pass. Uh, I think it will pass in a in a special session, maybe on on Monday or Tuesday. Uh, the aim the bill does not specifically try to close abortion clinics. It says they have to meet certain medical standards in order to operate. Um, it, it, here's what in the story of of this uh, this young woman. She's so spirited, you know. She has such energy and she seems to have such commitment. But it seems to me, and I think it seems to many Americans, that what she is speaking for and standing for is something we would recognize as infanticide, late-term abortion, the taking of a little child's life that is really, really serious. Um, and so part of me thinks that she's a fabulous young woman, and part of me thinks, oh, my goodness, we're celebrating something that, that even in Europe they call a matter of brutality and barbarism. Well, don't agree with that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, and I, th I, I think that Wendy Davis demonstrated unbelievable courage and moxie, and she represents the voices of a lot of women, not just in Texas, but across this country. And, you know, I don't really understand what Republicans get out of, um, you know, sort of going at her personally. I mean, Governor Perry's comments about Wendy Davis are, like, way over the top. She has a great personal story to share, but it's hers to share and not, and not his. Maybe running for governor of Texas. Well, I actually think her story provides her even more credibility for standing up on this issue, having where she came from. I totally disagree with Rick Perry that this story actually gives her more credibility. To me, the thing about this broadly is, and I think it's, it ties in Edward Snowden, Bradley Manning, a lot of different people, which means that individuals standing up strongly and enunciating what their truth is can actually change and bring a spotlight on things important in America. Wendy Davis did it on her own, stood up and put a spotlight on what was going on in Texas. Other people have done it. It does return us to an idea that the power of the individual still matters. Roe versus Wade was a seven to two decision in the Supreme Court. It wasn't close, but for 40 years, the division over it has grown and infected the rest of our politics. What we heard from Perry, what we heard when people called her a terrorist for speaking on the, on the floor of the Texas State Senate, is that un-American divisiveness. Our, the, our genius is that we are not ideologues, we're pragmatists, we do deals and abortion and stuff. All right, continue on. Barry, she was there for about 11 hours. I mean, she was just doing what she does, and she was not playing around. And I believe, you know, when you do a filibuster, you can't lean against the table. You can't lean on a, on a crane, uh, crane, my God, uh, a cane or anything. You have to literally stand there. And people were coming up there making sure she had drinks and all kind of stuff, you know, water and fluids. And, you know, I would love to see an entire video of that filibuster, but you have to give it up. And, you know, again, she was speaking in the restaurant where she used to wait her. Um, it's a great story. If you just look up her story, um, for anybody, not just young ladies, like Wendy Davis, she's a state senator, senator in Texas. If you look up her story, there's something I always tell my students when I'm, I'm in class with them. And when I talk to my students, again, it's about it doesn't make a difference where you come from. It, it, all, it, it What makes a difference is how much do you want to go to where you're going. That's what it comes down to. And I think a lot of people, when the challenges arise, so many people, particularly if they're not around people who are supporting them or edifying them or anything like that, I think oftentimes what happens is that they just give up. 
there's no one saying there's reassurance. There's no one saying there's a reassurance to them. They could be a person of faith, and um, if they don't have a clear understanding of the doctrine of their faith, whatever, there may not be anybody around to explain. You know, this is what this story means. This is what that story means, and things like that. So her story again is, you know, she she was sitting in the in the restaurant where she used to be a waiter. Now she's a state senator. Was that her dreams at that time, or what have you? So for me. Um, I just really encourage everybody out there, if you listen to our Resurrection series, and I'll definitely, yes, I'll be bringing that back. But if you, give it, if you give that a listen, I think, you know, what I always tell people is that if you want to go, if you want to go and be successful, go be, in, go be successful. Just understand there will be challenges. Just understand that not everybody's going to be standing next to you. And, don't, and understand in that everybody, even those who you think are your friends, will be supporting you. So if that's what you want to do, go. Go follow your goals. Go follow your dreams. Follow your heart. As Steve Jobs said, "Listen to your heart, because it already knows what it, it already knows what it wants to do." All right, get a little musical break here. A little uh, Jennifer Lopez and a featuring a uh, little Wayne. We'll come back with the international news.
come back to the world at large and do a little international news. And people, we have to let's get, let me let me let me get a coin here. Hold on, I got a coin around. I'm gonna flip a coin here. No, let's get to some business here first. What is going on in Egypt? They are getting down over there. I mean, I'm going to have to get some of those folks down in Kinshasa because when them Egyptians protest, I think there's only 84 million of them, and I think there's 84 million Egyptians protesting in the street because it's when they come out and protest, there's no question about what's going on. So let's get a little news here, a little information here in reference to what's, what's transpired. We'll fill you in, and then we'll continue on into some uh, Eric Snowden business here. Breaking developments in Egypt, fears of more violence after the country's first democratically elected president is reportedly in military custody. ABC's Byron Pitts is in Cairo where there are calls for more protests today. A lot of uncertainty there, Byron. Well, good morning, Laura. We're about to hear square where the crowd is getting larger and louder earlier than normal today. We've spoken to people on both sides who say they expect more violence, especially today, on what the Muslim Brotherhood has called the Day of Rejection. Fortifying their strongholds with the stonewall barriers, the Muslim Brotherhood has made clear this morning they are not ready to go home or give in to what is the new reality in Egypt. Look closely to the left of your screen as the members of the Brotherhood charge a lone Egyptian soldier they swarm like bees. Another soldier tries to intervene, and he too is tackled to the ground. If anger is the language of the defeated, raucous raw jubilation goes to the victor. Fourth of July night on Tahrir Square had the look and feel of New York's Times Square on New Year's Eve. Millions here believing this is yet another new step in the journey towards democracy in Egypt. Interim President Adli Mansour was sworn in yesterday. Today he announces changes to the Constitution. Handpicked by the military, Mansour called the Muslim Brotherhood, quote, part of the fabric of Egyptian society. While he sounded like a leader advocating reconciliation, members of the military were out rounding up leaders of the Muslim Brotherhood. Close to 300 have been detained so far. Others are in hiding. Former President Mohamed Morsi is under house arrest, as are key cabinet members like his national security advisor, whose son Jihad al-Haddad voiced to us the frustration of a people not yet in the mood for reconciliation. I'm committed to this country. I'm committed to bringing sustainable democracy to this country. If I'm arrested in the process, if I'm even killed in the process, by all means, that's the price I'm willing to pay. I went on to ask him, would their demonstration be peaceful? He snapped, why ask me? Ask the other side, he said. And David, just about then, I looked to the back of the room, and there one of his men was adding a fresh batch of nails to his wooden club. All right, Byron Pitts keeping watch there in Cairo for us. Byron, thank you. Whew! You know, when I, I'm not, you know, I'm not Egyptian, so I'm not, I can't speak on the intricacies of going up there. I can only speak as... Someone comes from the outside, you know, but, you know, supporting our brothers and sisters up there in the, uh, in the northern part of Africa, as well as our brothers up there. And I just want to say, it, it's it's very interesting because again, I'm not, I don't know all the intricacies of what's going on. I just know the Muslim Brotherhood was, you know, uh, one of their members, I believe, uh, more was elected, and you know, he was making these moves that the people were thinking were creating a totalitarian government and uh, pseudo uh, dictatorship, and they were protesting. And when the Egyptians protest, it's not like one or two come out. They coming out, whether they're for or against. And when, the sad thing is that when they get together, there's always going to be a 
seems to be a loss of a life, and that's the part I don't like. But the thing that kind of troubles me a little bit, and again, I don't know all the intricacies of what's going on with the military, is that this is, reminding me, this is reminding me of a lot of Rome in reference to the Egyptian armies reminding me a lot of the Praetorian Guard during the time of Julianus, where they didn't like, they didn't like who, who was in power. They just removed the emperor and put somebody else in. Now, in this case, again, they removed the emperor. They removed the emperor. They removed Morsi, uh, for whatever good or bad reason they may have, and decide to install somebody else as a temporary prime minister or what have you. But yet, they still removed the president. Now, any other place, that's a coup. I think the difference why they're saying this isn't a coup is that when the military didn't take power, they just said, we're just going to kick you out and put someone else in. And that kind of reminds me of what's been, what happened in Rome. Now, what I would have liked to have seen is, again, I'm speaking as an outsider, um, the, the Egyptians know what's best for themselves, is that I would love to, you know, the people just wait until the next election and vote them out. Maybe there's a fear that he would suspend the elections, Morsi. Maybe there's a fear that violence would delay the elections. Who knows? But it would have been nice to be like, hey, we don't like you. We're going to vote you out. But, again, Morsi at the same time should have articulated the protesters' demands or, or concerns, what have you, and had a meet and had a sit, a sit in with them. Now, who knows what's going on behind the doors? Who knows what's happening right now as we speak? Things may change, but I think the only troubling aspect is the military. It, they, it shouldn't be where they're kind of like hovering in the wings, you know, looking at you from behind the curtains and, okay, we don't like this guy, move him out. So I think that's something that's going to have to be addressed sometime in the long run or in the short term, but I think the short term is making the stability there. I know the Americans are uh, questioning their investments their yearly investments into Egypt. Um, they're saying that President Obama will probably be more hands-on. Uh, there's a feeling that he and his administration have been more hands-off to uh, prior uh, political uh, scenarios of, of, abroad. So let's see how this turns out. But my brothers and sisters up in Egypt, man, just be safe. You know, let's not kill each other or anything like that. You know, you, you, if you, you can still disagree without murdering each other. You know, those who are doing that. But for the most part, the protests have been you know, peaceful, and say, hey, look, we just want uh, we want a difference in our country. So now, as we stay over abroad, we have to talk about Mr. Edward Snowden, who's still in the uh, lounge at the Russian airport. And something happened a couple of days ago. I believe it was the Bolivian president. I could be wrong, if I recall correctly, but I believe it was the Bolivian president was flying abroad from Europe. And there was thinking that Edward Snowden was on the plane. So if I recall correctly, uh, I'm trying to remember which country that was. Um, I believe it was Bolivia, if I'm correct. I know Bolivia now is offering um, is offering Snowden uh, political asylum, saying, hey, you can come over here. But it, 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 I'm trying to find out, but apparently what happened was that um, a plane carrying a foreign a South American president was flying, and what happened was the French, another country, thought that Edward Snow Edward Snowden was on the plane, and refused to open their airspace to this plane carrying this uh, South American president. So the plane had to divert around like three countries to come back to their country uh, to come back to their um, their homeland. And for some reason, it's just saying, you know, I think it was, the, let, me, let me get some information here. And I, we'll, we'll, let's hear an interview first off with uh, the gentleman from WikiLeaks, and then we'll come back and we'll touch more on this. But it's a bizarre story of what's going on because, I mean, this one guy is almost called him creating a diplomatic incident around the world. A couple of days ago, Julian Assange, he was interviewed on this week. And you know him from WikiLeaks. He's been hiding out in the Ecuadorian embassy in London. Um, 
apparently WikiLeaks is the uh, advisory attaché for Edward Snowden. So he was profiled on this week some time ago. Let's give a quick interview here. Let's give a quick listen to the interview. It's about 15 minutes, but I think it's very informative. Our exclusive interview with Julian Assange. He's standing by from his safe room at the Ecuadorian Embassy in London. First, our chief justice correspondent, Pierre Thomas, has more on Assange and the assistance WikiLeaks is providing to NSA leaker Edward Snowden. Good morning, Pierre. Good morning, George. WikiLeaks officials were with Snowden when he fled from Hong Kong to Russia, and they have provided him with legal guidance. Assange is said to be pressing Ecuadorian officials to grant Snowden's request for asylum. Some say it's the latest provocation of the U.S. He has long been a prickly thorn in the side of the U.S. government. But who is Julian Assange? Hacker? Activist? A journalist? Or fugitive criminal? We've exposed the world's secrets. He is the mastermind behind WikiLeaks, which has published the secrets of nations and is now at the heart of a global debate over the public's right to know. The WikiLeaks organization published hundreds more internal government documents. Assange has embarrassed the powerful and revealed top secret information about U.S. and other government activities. Got a bunch of bodies laying there. But at what cost? It puts people's lives in danger, threatens our national security. Now the man who has been on a crusade to expose what he believes is wrongdoing faces accusations of his own. You have no right to arrest Julian Assange. For more than a year, he's been holed up in the Ecuadorian embassy in London, where he sought refuge to avoid possible criminal charges. And today, WikiLeaks and Assange are standing shoulder to shoulder with perhaps the most damaging leaker of them all, Edward Snowden, the fugitive former government contractor who went public with top-secret information about some of the crown jewels of the intelligence community. Some U.S. officials say, make no mistake, these, are se these leaks have serious consequences, that the terrorists are changing the way they communicate because of these disclosures. George? Okay, Pierre, thanks. Let's talk now to Julian Assange from the Ecuadorian Embassy in London, joined here in New York by Jesslyn Radak, a former whistleblower from the Justice Department who disclosed details of post-9-11 interrogation practices, now with the Government Accountability Project. Welcome to you both. And Mr. Assange, let me begin with you. Thank you for joining us. What can you tell us about where Edward Snowden is right now and where he's expected to go? Uh, thank you. Thank you, George. I wish I could <clears throat> answer these uh, questions of yours in more detail. The situation now with Edward Snowden is a very sensitive one. It's a matter of uh, international diplomatic uh, negotiations. So the <clears throat> there's little that I can productively say about uh, what is happening uh, directly. Uh, but look, let's pull back a bit. Uh, why is it that Mr. Snowden uh, is not in the United States? Uh, he should feel that he should be afforded justice uh, in the United States. Uh, but his situation is very similar to a situation that I face uh, and that my staff uh, face, where we have been sucked into a, a grand jury in Alexandria, Virginia. That's where the charges for Mr. Snowden came from, Alexandria, Virginia. But what do we know about that district? It's six kilometres from the centre of Washington, D.C., uh, the jury pool is made up of the CIA, Pentagon, uh, etc. Uh, in the legal community in the United States, it's known as the, the rocket docket because of the lack of scrutiny proce procedures have there. Uh, there's a 99% chance that if you're, sorry, a 99.97% chance uh, that if you're a, a target of a grand jury, you'll be indicted, and a 99% chance uh, that if you're indicted by a grand jury, you'll be convicted. So this is not a situation. Uh, ignoring all the political rhetoric which we've seen, which has been terrible over the past two weeks. 
uh, where Mr. Snowden uh, can feel that he would be afforded justice. But is there uh, any the country States. right so now that will grant our, Mr. Our Snowden advice, asylum? Well, under UN conventions, Mr. Snowden has the right uh, to apply to nearly every country uh, for asylum. Of course, asylum decisions are always a mixture um, of the political and the legal. Um, and I think there are, there are several countries where it is politically possible uh, for Mr. Snowden to receive asylum, and many countries, of course, uh, where he's legally uh, entitled uh, to that kind of protection. Uh, it's, no one is alleging that any of his acts are anything uh, other than political, uh, that he has acted in a, in a manner uh, to draw attention to a very serious problem uh, in the United States where um, without the, the will of Congress, without the will of the American population, we now have a, a state within a state. We have a transnational surveillance apparatus. Glenn Greenwald just last night spoke about how a new technology to be rolled out by the National Security Agency uh, is going to attempt to intercept one billion uh, mobile phone calls with a day. No one signed up for this. Obama does not have a mandate for that. With respect no one has to a mandate Assange, for that. Many people Congress have said has been taken is, for a ride. Excuse me, many people said this is far more than political, including Secretary of State John Kerry. He spoke out on this earlier this week saying that Snowden's revelations are putting people at risk. Take a look. People may die as a consequence of what this man did. It is possible the United States will be attacked because terrorists may now know how to protect themselves in some way or another that they didn't know before. Does that concern you at all? Well, look, we have heard this rhetoric. I myself was subject to precisely this rhetoric uh, <clears throat> two, three years ago, and it all proved to be false. And we, we ha had this uh, terrible discussion about, uh, which even exists uh, in some of the tabloid press today, about WikiLeaks causing harm. But not a single U.S. government official, no one from the Pentagon, no one from any government, says that any of our revelations in the past six years has caused anyone uh, to come to physical harm. Uh, and the revelations by Snowden, uh, I mean, these are even more uh, abstract. Have you spoken uh, in to Mr. Snowden? The, the are you confident he's we safe were, right now? Uh, publishing. Um, our legal uh, people have been in contact uh, with Mr. Snowden. I can't say anything about the uh, present uh, situation, but... You know, the United States uh, cancelled his passport. United, uh, Joseph Biden, uh, the day before yesterday, uh, personally uh, called President Correa uh, trying to pressure him. That's not acceptable. Uh, asylum is a right that we all have. It's an international right. The United States has been founded uh, largely on accepting political refugees from, from other countries and has prospered by it. Uh, Mr. Snowden uh, has that right. Ideally, he should be able to return uh, to the United States. Unfortunately, that's not the world uh, that we live in, uh, and hopefully another country uh, will give him the justice that he deserves. Edward Snowden's father has spoken out. He fears that you and WikiLeaks are manipulating his son, and he said that, quote, I think WikiLeaks, their focus isn't necessarily the Constitution of the United States. That's a concern for me. How do you respond to Edward Snowden's father? Well, he didn't say that. He, he, called, he said might be. Um, Mr. Snowden's father, as a parent, of course he is worried in this situation. Every father would be worried in this situation. Um, we have uh, established um, contact with uh, Mr. Snowden's father's uh, lawyer to uh, put some of his concerns 
uh, to rest. But I mean, this isn't this isn't a situation that you know that uh, WikiLeaks uh, is um, uh, in charge of, if you like. Uh, this is a matter uh, for states uh, at a very very serious uh, level to understand um, and and sort out and and behave uh, responsibly. And because we've had some experience uh, in in the past with publishing with it with attacks and political rhetoric from the United States, with asylum and so on. Uh, and I have a personal sympathy for Mr. Snowden. Um, we did what we uh, could and will continue to you do. You have so, put yourself uh, in the middle of it. And help him through. And, and I want to ask a further question on that. Uh, Glenn Greenwald has said that no matter what happens to Snowden, his secrets, the secrets that he's taken will get out. How? And does WikiLeaks have, have possession of those secrets right now? Uh, look, there, there is no stopping the publishing process at this stage. Um, great care has been taken to make sure uh, that Mr. Snowden uh, can't be pressured uh, by any state uh, to stop the uh, publication uh, process. Um, I mean, the, the United States, by cancelling his passport, has left him, for the, uh, for the moment, um, uh, marooned uh, in Russia. Is that really a, a great outcome uh, by the State Department? Is that really what it wanted to do? Um, I think that's every citizen uh, has the right to their citizenship, uh, to, to take someone's uh, principal component of citizenship, their passport, away from them uh, is a disgrace. Uh, Mr. Snowden hasn't been convicted uh, of anything. There are no international uh, warrants out for his arrest. Um, to take a passport from a young man in a difficult situation like that is a disgrace. He, he is a hero. Uh, he has uh, told the people of the world and the United States, that there is mass, unlawful interception of their communications, far beyond anything that happened under Nixon. He, Obama can't just turn around has, like Nixon did and said, uh, it's okay uh, if, if the president does it, if the president authorizes it. That's not it. what he's saying, and but sir, he has also broken the law. Uh, Let me bring that now to Jesslyn Radek, who's also here with me right now. Uh, Julian Assange mentioned uh, Edward Snowden's father, who's also written, his attorney has written a letter uh, to Eric Holder, the uh, Attorney General, saying that there, he believes that his son would be willing to come back to the United States if he would not be detained or imprisoned prior to trial, if he would not be subject to a gag order, if he would be tried in the venue of his choosing. Do you think it would make sense for Snowden to return under those circumstances? I actually don't. I have represented people like Thomas Drake, who was an NSA whistleblower, who actually did go through every conceivable internal channel possible, including his boss, the inspector general of his agency, the Defense Department inspector general, and two congressional committees, and the U.S. turned around and prosecuted him and did so for espionage and threatened to tie him up for the rest of his life in jail. I think Snowden's outlook is bleak. Here. And instead of focusing on Snowden and shooting the messenger, we should really focus on the crimes of the NSA. Because whatever laws Snowden may or may not have broken, they are infinitesimally small compared to the two major surveillance laws and the Fourth Amendment of the Constitution that the NSA violated. The president has pointed out were passed by the Congress or overseen by a court. Well, both of those are incorrect. Congress has not been fully informed. Only they have the, passed the laws. The there is oversight. There is okay, but there's oversight. a secret interpretation of Section 215 of the Patriot Act, which nobody knows except for the Intel 
committee of Congress, and even they say that they think most Americans would be appalled by that. And to say that it's been approved by the courts is a misnomer because it gives the impression that federal courts have improved this, when in reality, it's the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, which has rubber stamped which every is a federal court. No, it is a secret court set up at the Justice Department that has federal judges on it, but it, last year, it approved 2,000 out of 2,000 applications. They hear only the government side, and they've never they've rejected an application one time since 1978. Let me bring this back to Julian Assange. You know, back in 2010, an email that was revealed from you by, by Bart Gelman in Time Magazine said that you hoped the revelations uh, from WikiLeaks would bring about quote the total annihilation of the current U.S. regime. Is that still your goal? And what did you mean by that? I, I didn't say that, and there is no, no such email. It's quoting Time false. Magazine in December uh, 2010. This, yeah, well, I mean, Time Magazine. But um, this is a, it's very interesting that you raise such a thing like that. You know, we, we are in a situation where we have these extraordinary revelations that are causing great embarrassment. Uh, All right, I can't take any more. <laughs> let's, 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 let's clarify some. Let's clarify some. I don't mind if someone wants to stand for their principle and beliefs, all right? I, you know, I'll listen to anybody. Let's correct something here as to why exactly where Julian Assad is, why he's there, and what's going to happen if he doesn't leave soon. But let me come back a little earlier because, yes, it was the Bolivians. Let me go to uh, USA Today. I'm going to leave a little quote here. What happened in reference to the plane? I knew it was Bolivia, but I had to make sure my information was correct. Bolivia has called a, has called a decision by European authorities to force a jet-carrying President Evo Morales to land in Austria and undergo a search for former National Security Agency contractor Edward Snowden, a, quote, act of aggression, end quote. The plane carrying Morales departed Europe for Bolivia on Wednesday after being diverted to Vienna or suspicions it was carrying NSA leaker Snowden. But Austria's deputy chancellor confirmed Wednesday that Snowden was not on the plane. Morales has been flying back to Bolivia from Moscow where he was attending a summit on gas. Snowden is thought to be at Moscow's international airport. Bolivia said it would file a complaint to the United Nations over a blockade by France, Spain, and Italy that saw them deny airspace to the presidential jet. Bolivia's ambassador to the United Nations said this past Wednesday. People. Oh, let me continue on. Sasha Lorenzli Solis told reporters he had no doubt that the orders to divert Morales' plane came from the U.S. and the United States and said the search was a violation of international law as well as an aggressive act. In a midnight press conference in La Paz, Bolivian Vice President Alvaro Garcia described Morales as being kidnapped by imperialism in Europe. So that's what's going on. So let's leave, put that to the side for one moment. But again, it's very interesting because uh, Spain allowed the plane to refuel in the Canary Islands on its way back home on Wednesday, but only if Bolivian authorities agreed to allow it to be inspected. So EU Transport Spokeswoman Helen Keynes said it was up to national governments to allow or refuse planes entry into their airspace. She said it's unclear what happened with the Bolivian plane and whether or not it was refused access and why. Okay, let's get back to Julian Assange on this case. There's a, he can sit there and postulate and posture all he wants. If he had like some solid ground, I'd give him some love. But let's, here's my little issue with him. He's facing two sex charges in Sweden, all right? When he lost the extradition, when he lost the extradition hearing in the U.K., to go back to Sweden and what have you. He fled to the Ecuadorian embassy. And the Ecuadorian said, okay, we'll give you permanent residence here. Now, obviously, Julian has to be very aware that in British law, and, re and you can quote me on this. No, actually, yeah, you can quote me on this. 
British law, there is a actual clause or a law or what have you that allows them under extreme circumstances to strip the diplomatic immunity of an embassy. If they decide this is a diplomatic, they decide that this is a extreme circumstance, they can they can literally strip the diplomatic immunity of the embassy and go in and get him. Of course, you know, the international uproar will be famous, will be outrageous, will be all over the world, blah, blah, blah. He's not sitting there because he's hiding from the Americans. The Americans are still debating whether they want to file charges against them. He's sitting there because he's facing two sex charges. That's why he's still in the little hut there trying to hold, trying to hold out. Now, to talk about all these kind of things, reference to what he's doing and what like this, he's sometimes people like him, good or bad, whether people agree with him or not. You know, I'm not saying what he did was right. I'm not saying it was wrong. I'll let for you to judge. In this aspect, I just don't like the posturing of him sitting there and blaming the U.S. for this, the U.S. for that. Senator John Kerry, Massachusetts Senator, by the way, hometown Boston, what he was talking about is true. If I'm planning something shady, and I know how to, okay, every criminal, like the mob, if they figure out a way, if they have an idea how they're being, how their wiretaps are coming in or how they're being followed or anything like that, they're going to change the way they operate their business. That's what Senator Kerry is. So what's his name wants to release, uh, what's his name, Snowden wants to release all this information on how the Americans and whatever are, are, are monitoring data and things like that. And the people that want to do harm to the U.S. are, are, are finding that out and change their way. That's what son, Senator John Kerry was talking about. That's what he meant. But Julian Assange, the guy, let's correct this, he's avoiding a two-year-old Swedish rape and sexual molestation accusation, not a U.S. government investigation. That is why he is hiding out. And what's going to happen if he gets extradited back to, the, to, the, to Sweden, the Americans will probably put in an extradition request from him, uh, for him, to the Swedish government. But Sweden has a law or has a, has a policy where they will not um, extradite someone to a place where they'll get executed or for political reasons. So let's get that out of the way. Also, for me... If you know, if you know, sometimes you have to know that there will be repercussions for the things that you do. If you're not willing to face those repercussions, don't do what you're about to do. You can apply that in life. I'll just leave it at that. But I just couldn't. Yes, it's my show. I want to be fair. And I'm not saying whistleblowers don't deserve protection. They do. But when people, when this guy, Julian, is making it seem like He's just hanging out in the Ecuadorian embassy because the Americans want him. Someone needs to ask him about those uh, rape and sexual molestation charges he's facing back in, 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 in Sweden and deal with that also. Right or wrong with Edward Snowden? Right or wrong what why he did it? We'll see what the Americans do. We'll see what they say. We'll see what the next step is. But people, we got to hear a little music here because we're running out of time. So let's go back in the day. Let's go way back in the day. How about to, uh, <laughs> man, watch that conference, that uh, concert that took place in L.A. So let's go back to, like, I think the 70s. Let's have some fun here, all right? Whoa! I want everybody to get in on this thing. I'm going to tell you all the stuff I'm telling you about. 
know what I like about Jody? Had enough sense to express herself. Told her how cute she looked. Told her how pretty she walked. Told her how cute she talked. Told her how cute Johnny Taylor, oh my goodness. Yes, Johnny Taylor. I believe he did that song called uh, Disco Lady. Yo, if you ever see this video, go online, look for Jody's Got Your Girl and Gone, Johnny Taylor's at Wattsack. And I swear to God, Chuatel Joe 4 need to do, do that guy's like life story because he looked just like him, and I can see him rocking that movie. So, no. But I just love that groove. It's, such a, it's a great performance, and I'm glad this video because it just gets you, it just gets you standing up and gets you grooving. Now, I'm still pissed off about Julian Assange because he was such, uh, he was just, he sounds like so pompous. It's like, look, man, it just annoys me. It just annoys me and whatnot. But the thing that I'm concerned about is Edward Snow and his dad and his family and things like that. So I just hope this thing gets resolved. But, man, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Now, we got to talk a little bit entertainment information here. And I'm going to start this by talking about a movie that's been a long time in the making, The Lone Ranger. Now, we had this conversation before, and I'm going to bring in some words that um, uh, I don't have the audio that Steven Spielberg and George Lucas had said. I had an interview some time ago. I think it was at USC. They had opened their grand opening for the three-story multimedia building there, and they were talking about cinema. And they were talking about how it's going to be in it. They're looking towards – they're not looking towards they, – they see an implosion coming to the industry when you have blockbusters just bombing at the office. And there's going to be a, a day where it's going to – you know, you're going to – Pay certain money to see Iron Man, maybe fifty dollars or whatever, twenty five dollars to see that, and maybe seven dollars to go see another movie like Despicable Me Two or Despicable Me Three or whatever. And a lot of people are like, oh my God, you know, how could that possibly be? be, be how could that, that happen? Uh, I'll tell you that how could happen. There's not a con- and I post this on my Facebook. There's not a comic book person out there, a veteran of the comic book industry, that doesn't understand what these words mean. Speculators, boom. What happened is that prices for compost were getting so outrageous. I mean, you had like number one issues selling eight million copies of X Men. I think it was the double. I think it was the double cover fold out. One had the, the it was a one had the X Men going from left to right. The next cover variant cover had Magneto. And if you put them all together, you had like this poster. I don't even think there was eight million collectors in the entire country of the United States or in North America. But yet somehow number one. I mean, the artists make money off that with those issues, but after a while, people start buying those compos and buying those compos and buying those compos, and they're like, yeah, I'll just sell them on the market, I'll sell them on the market, until people realize there isn't really no market for this, and they just walked away. The industry pretty much almost became non-existent. You talk, go to San Diego Comic-Con, I'll be down there, or go to any convention, you talk to anybody above the age of 35. You know, think about 30, it'll be about 20 around that time, they might know, but 35, 40, whatever. And ask them about that. They can tell you exactly how close it came. This industry came. You talk about Marvel was 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 in a battle between Icon and Pearlman. They were selling off those rights of their characters all over the place and things like that. But after that speculators boom, this industry of comic books nearly came to extinction. I mean, it was they were making it easier for comic book stores to open. They were making it easier for dealers to sell. Com- it was just, and then once these these whoever these people were left, it it, it was ugly. It, it it was ugly. 
So I want to wrap this up real quick, and then we'll take we'll have some music to take us out. When Lone Ranger cost two hundred and twenty-five million dollars to 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 produce, we're not even going to talk about the marketing. I mean, that does include the marketing, and it only makes forty-nine million dollars at the box office. For a lot of other films, that's a mega hit. For a film like that, that's a flop. And they're talking about it's this year's John Carter from what happened last year when that movie came out. I'm going to say this straight up. No movie, no matter what it is, should cost more than $90 million, maybe 100 whatever. But no movie should cost two. No movie for, should cost a quarter of a billion dollars for two characters that were not in pub, you know, hotly demanded to be made into a movie. That's just my rant for now. We're gonna, in fact, I think our next week, next week when we talk about society today, we're going to open talk about we're going to talking about the entertainment industry because movies should not be costing 150, 200 million dollars for something you're going to watch for two hours and it's not going to stay with you for the rest of your life. It's not like they're doing Blade Runner. Now we're talking. Anyway, people, side you can't see the bring it live and direct. Let's get out of here. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you're doing well. Again, we're going to come back with our word on the street next week. We'll be back live next Sunday. I might be doing it from San Diego. If anything changes, hey, I'll keep you posted. On that on that note, hey, let's do let's do a little music here while we get out of here. Let me see here. Nah, let's keep it short. Let's keep it short. Nah, I want to do some music. Let's go. No, no.
Good night. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Haha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.